fifth. Slices in. Touchdown, Kansas City wins it. We were talking before we went on the air about how you could make an argument that the two most negative Twitters after week one might be Saints and Bills Twitter. Yeah, I don't follow San Diego's Twitter. <laughs> so, I mean, well, they're that, just in depression, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. What a rough feel. That's a different feeling, I think. Especially, I mean, their team has filed for whatever, reinstatement too. Right. So this could be it for them. Yeah, that and, could be. this could be a long year for them. Yeah. But that couldn't have felt good No. see Keenan Allen down like that. How did it feel to have football back? Great. As a Bills fan, uh, you were talking about how we're probably a little more bitter than we should be because of the drought and like the team on the field isn't responsible for the 16 years, right. so maybe we're a little bit too hard on them. My problem with it is largely during the drought, minus like a Drew Bledsoe year, or, it's been boring, and that was the worst game of the weekend. And it's always the game I got to sit and watch, and it was just a terrible, terrible game. Yeah. How did your fantasy teams do? I think I went two and one. Do you have a good feeling about your teams? Uh, remains to be seen. Yeah. I, I think the team the, the team I lost with is probably my best team, and one of the wins I had was one of those scenarios where I only would have beaten like three other teams that week. So. Did you do anything else, like any survivors? or? I didn't. No, I forgot about it. I, I made myself a note to do it, and I didn't do it before the Thursday game, and I don't. I think I would have been locked out for weeks. So I'm like, ah, why bother? The... Uh, I'm in this big, um, this big survivor pool. Yeah, you almost won it last year. You yeah, split I, it or something. I right? tied essentially, tied, yeah. and uh, so I have five spots this year: two from myself, my brother. My one brother has two, my other brother has one. So we're kind of just working on it together and just going to kind of pool the money, so to speak. Okay. So, so do you always we, pick different teams. We went with four your... and one. Well, I picked Seattle and Houston. And then my other brother picked Tennessee and um, Tennessee and uh, Seattle. Okay. And then my other brother picked Seattle. Gave you a scare. Yeah, it? everyone gave us 12, a scare. 10? Kansas City was the other one. Ooh. At one point in the morning, I mean, the only team winning was Minnesota, and then that was the only team that lost. So. I had the best week I ever had in fantasy. I was four and one. I had the top score in three leagues. I flipped that. Minnesota won. Tennessee lost. Yeah, they were the only team. Tennessee was the only team. Yeah, yeah. You winning, said Minnesota. Though. Oh, I see what you're saying. And then they, they lost the game, but they were the only one winning for a long time. Okay. So, um, and that was the only one that ended up losing. So we went four and one, which isn't bad for an opening week. No. There's like 250 people in the pool, and 93 or something lost. Week one. Wow. So a ton of people had the Colts. Just that was the biggest chunk, I think, was Colts people. I can't remember who they played. They played the they played uh Stafford and the Lions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't been in a survivor pool in a while. I think in the beginning you just don't get cute. Uh it is season six, episode twenty five of the Sportscasters, September fifteenth, twenty sixteen. A couple hours before the Bills will play their second game against the Jets. 
It's John Wertheim week in the Sportscasters, the executive editor of Sports Illustrated, will join us on the day that Sports Illustrated teams with Twitter to bring football streaming to Twitter. Really? Yeah, so we'll talk to John about that. Uh, Also, fluid situation on the other thing, but I think we're going to spend at least 10 minutes uh, talking to Adrian Dater, who's live in Toronto at the World Cup of Hockey. Oh, sweet. So I think that will be the other interview, although it is fluid and we do have some other balls in the air, but I think that those will be for next week. Is that part of your three things at all, the World Cup of Hockey? Yes. Okay, good. All right, we have... Do you know what – wait, but before we get into three things, and yeah. that is a part of three things, you understand what's going on with the world. The format now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We have a book club update. We will finish with one last thing, and we will start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. So easily the most disappointing part of week one from just a, a big picture point of view is to see Keenan Allen kind oh. of shot his knee like that. Yeah. The image of him kind of sobbing on the cart is kind of a tough one to handle. Yep. My brother Greg, who gets teased in the in the fantasy drop, yeah, his first three picks in the only league he did this I, I year, think I saw him, yeah. were Jamal Charles, Rob Gronkowski, and Keenan Allen. Allen. Yeah, so he got one half out of those guys in the first game. What but, league? How does that? How does free agency work in that league? It's blind bidding. Okay, so he's got to get in there and get somebody. Yeah, but I mean, who? <laughs> I guess the guy that was popular. What's his name? Travis Tyrell Benjamin, Tyrell or? Williams, something like that, isn't? San Diego, number two guy. I don't know. I don't spend a a ton of blind bidding money on some guy who had a good week one, (laughs) generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, I did swap swap out prospects in one league. Uh, But uh, there was that. Did you see the Rams? I uh, fortunately did not. (laughs) Oh, man. Was that a nightmare? You want to talk about some seven and nine bullshit? This was five and. 11 bullshit. You know, the worst thing about that is they have no first-round pick. They did, though, sign their GM uh, (laughs) to an extension. Or, no, they signed defensive tackle Michael Brockers to a three-year extension today. Okay. Um, And there was some reports in there that Jeff Fisher would also be getting an extension, a three-year extension. I don't know what the status of that is, uh, but that's been around the internet the last few days is that... You know, Jeff Fisher's getting an extension, so. Wow. Who played quarterback in that game? It was Case Keenum, right? Yeah. I guess on the plus side, it wasn't Goff. They said he was tipping his plays. Okay. But the 49ers said they knew what, pretty much what was going to happen for every snap. Okay. Uh, Joey Bosa's going to play this week. Or Good. isn't going to play this week. Is still not going to Still play. out. Wow. Um, I don't know what the deal with him is. Uh. T.Y. Hilton. Everyone's questionable. We're kind of starting to see that this injury report stinks, huh? Yeah, it's the worst. Spencer Ware looked awesome. Yep. What are the Chiefs going to do? He's also questionable. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> no, it I sounds know. like he's just kind of resting a toe. But, like, what do you do when Jamal Charles is ready? Because Jamal Charles is running the scout team. Say Spencer Ware is another game like that. 
I guess you put Maybe them both out more. there. You, you just, just have ruin, this awesome timeshare. You just ruin fantasy Neither of them players. are any yeah. good in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I think with Jamal Charles, he's the type of player that, while he's healthy, he's awesome. And you let him be awesome, and you have Spencer Ware there, too, and you hope one of them can stay healthy. There's 94 nominees for the, the Football Hall of Fame. So this is kind of how it starts, right? There's these 94 guys. Okay, and these count the guys that were on the ballots in the past, too? Yep, okay. it's just like the initial set of potential Hall of Famers. Okay. Darren Sharper is on the list. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well. They don't, they, don't, right. they don't get off of their insistence that it's strictly an on-the-field on thing. Yeah, so. OJ's in there still. Yeah, OJ's still in. Uh, seven quarterbacks. Tell me if any of these guys are Hall of Famers. Okay. Drew Bledsoe. No. Randall Cunningham. He's so different, but no, probably not. Doug Flutie? No. Doug not. Flutie's on the list. It's, it's like baseball, sort okay. of, where if it's been five years, you probably can be in one of the hundred. I said the other day, you can maybe make the or maybe the last podcast, you can maybe make the argument Doug Flutie is like the third best Bills quarterback of all time, but that's over the span of like two or three I mean, years. they cut this list like five times. Okay. Uh, Donovan McNabb? He's the closest one so far. Steve McNair? No. Phil Simms? No, Kurt Warner. Yeah, yeah, I think Kurt Warner. I think for Kurt sure. Warner is too. I mean, the only argument against Warner would be time. I mean, he was amazing when he played. Yeah, no, I would put Kurt Warner in. Uh, there's some interesting names. Tory Holt is, I think, a new name. Uh, Chad Johnson and Trell Owens are in there. Sterling Sharp probably not going to get in. Tio's got to be in too. Yeah, he does. Uh, there's a ton of offensive linemen uh, and a ton of defensive backs. But I just thought that was kind of interesting that. Uh, Darren Sharper's on the list. Darren Sharper. <laughs> what a disaster he is. Uh, what was going on with Chris Ivory? Did you hear anything about that? Yeah, it's a very big mystery. I don't. I still don't know if it's come out. He just was hospitalized. So he released a statement. Let's see what he has to say. Okay. I returned to the stadium this morning to rejoin my coaches and teammates as we continue to prepare for the Chargers. This past weekend was challenging for me and my family because of an emergency medical con- condition that developed while I was at my, with my team at the hotel. I'm grateful to be back in the facility and refocus on the game that I love. I want to thank the Jags medical staff, first responders, and everyone at Baptist Medical Center in Jacksonville. I appreciate everyone's sensitivity during this personal matter, and I'm ready to be back on the field and look forward to doing so in the future. Thank you for all your support. I want you to know that I read each and every message, and I'm thankful for them. So in other words, I have no idea what happened. Right, yeah. It's personal. It's apparently. been a huge mystery. It's a personal matter. Sounds like Bradford's going to go for the Vikings this week. And I saw Ed uh, Ed Werner and uh, Sage Rosenfield's having like a debate about it. And it's like this whole, well, they gave up a first-round pick. And people were saying, well, that doesn't matter. They didn't play Treadwell, didn't play one play. Yeah, but that's a prospect. That's a developing asset. They gave up a first-round pick for Sam Bradford this to year. Now, yeah. You know, to play now and the hope is that next year potentially Bridgewater next year. will be back. Right, I guess that's a rough injury to come back from, though. So but maybe that's why you give up a little bit more. Not a running back, Bradford. No, no, right. Um, I would play Bradford. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. I mean, the defense won that last game, not the quarterback. I can't even remember the quarterback that so played. Josh Norman's really just going to play on the left side all year and let teams just walk their best receiver over to the right side. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened with Antonio Brown, right? The Giants are were mocking him. Uh, he made fifty million dollars, and uh, 
he won't move from the left side. So the Steelers just sent Antonio Brown to the right side every time they wanted a big play, and it was 100% effective. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else is going on? Jameis Winston looked really good. I didn't think Mariota did. I was a little disappointed in him. Did you see the color rush jerseys? All 32 teams are wearing them this year. I heard. I haven't seen them. Uh, I know the Bills start tonight. Is yeah. it always the Thursday game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're weird. I don't get the point of them. Like, I know the the last time they did it, it might have been Bills Jets that game, too. It's another Christmas game tonight. They got blasted because of, like, like colorblind people couldn't see the tell the difference. Supposedly they're going to solve that with helmets, I think I heard. Okay. The Rams have kind of cool yellowish ones, but then again, they're kind of too mustardy. Cowboys refuse to wear blue unless it's Thanksgiving. The Viking ones aren't bad. I like the Saints ones. They're white with gold. If you go to NFL.com, there's a slideshow of them. Um, but, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick to sell shit on NFLshop.com, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they have some really the Jaguar ones are just so hideous. But I guess that's a matter of... Uh, Opinion? A matter of opinion. Some good games this week. I'm looking forward to Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. An early kind of who's the best team in that division. Yeah, Cincinnati played a tough game with the Jets. Jets, yeah. Um, Miami plays New England. Do you think Miami has a chance to win that? They look good in Seattle. Yeah, I don't know. New England's scary or Arizona's not as good as I thought they were. I mean, they, they win that game without their two best offensive players and... That's scary. I mean, I know it was a tight game, one field goal here, and they would have lost, but I would be saying that even if they lost the game, to hang in there. So does Miami have a chance? I guess. I don't know. Anyone has a chance, right? Any given Sunday, they say, but probably not realistically. Green Bay and Minnesota have the Sunday night game. And That's a good one. Philadelphia and Chicago is the Monday night game. I think Chicago is no good. It's maybe the best weekend. Anything else in the NFL? Anything else you want to mention? No, remind me though. I'm gonna. You talked about streaming. That'll be my one last thing. Okay. So if I forget, it has to do with streaming. The uh, maybe the best week. If the first week of college football wasn't the best week, this might be. We talked about it in the off season. It kind of caught my eye that this would be a great week for college football, and it's here. Um, Saturday at seven thirty, probably the best. Well, there's probably two big games. One is Oklahoma and Ohio State. So, number three and number 14. Oklahoma screwed this game up a little bit by losing. Although, they came back and just pounded the hell out of some poor overmatched team last week. Yeah. Uh, so, that's at 7.30. And also, at noon, is Florida State, number two, and undefeated against uh, Louisville, number 10, and undefeated. Uh, so, that's a battle of possibly for the ACC championship. So, there's that game as well. And there's some other good ones. Alabama plays Ole Miss. Chad Kelly's going to try to be the only quarterback to beat Alabama. Yeah, you were talking about how people were back to back years were rough on the Bills' Twitter. Yeah, I, I guess there's some sentiment like to tank for Chad Kelly. I don't want to see that at all. No, like, you don't like Chad Kelly. He's talented. I, yeah, he is, but so was I mean Manziel. I don't know Manziel didn't have the the measurables that Chad Kelly does, but boy, that you're would be, worried about that the would maturity. Be, that would be scary. Yeah, but is it a little bit of a second? Or isn't it a little bit of hypocrisy considering how we always want to give breaks to hockey players like Tyler Sagan and Patrick Kane for their immaturity? Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess he'll have to show me he's turned a corner at some point. Might not be this year. <laughs> <laughs> he might be, might be a little bit away from that. Michigan State and Notre Dame play. 
Uh, that's number 12 and number 18. Still a lot of good games. Uh, Texas plays Cale. Uh, USC plays Stanford. Stanford's number seven in the country. Uh, so we'll see about USC. So a really good week of college football. Uh, the World Cup of Hockey, Don's yeah. favorite tournament, <laughs> starts. Now that I figured it out, Saturday. Uh, what? So, what comes to mind? Like, so now that you understand it, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm shocked by the competitive level of it. I suppose. Did you see any of intense. the first Canada U.S. game, the one that the USA won? I didn't. I mean, I saw both of them just in highlights. I didn't see either. The of them. first one was ridiculous for a friendly. Yeah, I think maybe both of the teams realized for the second game that be, everyone's going to be dead by the time this tournament starts if we play like that. Yeah, and nobody seems to like uh, what's his name Kessler. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly took the place of Sagan. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously I'm a homer, so I like Ryan O'Reilly, but Sagan's so talented. That's a bummer. Yeah, that sucks for Canada. Um, I think the only team that almost – so this is a really interesting thing. So the U.S. played Canada twice, right? Yes. They split it. Yeah. Finland played Sweden twice. You tweeted this, I think. They yeah. split it. Um, who is the other one? Uh, Russia and the Czech Republic played twice. They split it. So that's six teams there. North America was the only team that swept a team. Mm-hmm. They swept uh, – the, the team Europe. Oh right. So that was the only sweep. Uh, but then they uh, had a little bit of, I don't know if you want to say reality, uh, but they lost to um, the Czech Republic. Then yeah, um, a really good game between Canada and Russia. Uh, Russia lost in overtime after a little bit of a third period comeback on Canada. That was in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh got to watch um, Malkin versus Crosby, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I heard uh, Crosby was uh, joking a little bit on, about how Malkin won a couple face-offs, and he kind of implied that he taught him how to cheat on face-offs. <laughs> <laughs> so that will now shift to the Toronto and to ESPN and to the Air Canada Center. And real games, right? And real games. They start Saturday afternoon. Sweet. So Yeah, I'm shocked. by. We've talked about this before. Like If you rank it, it's like Stanley Cup and then maybe the Olympics and then World Juniors or Maybe those are in a different order, but we thought this one would be a little bit lower. But teams are competing out there. Yeah, people are. The players have brought it, which makes me excited for the tournament. I wasn't as excited before as I am now. You know, I'm more excited now just because, like you said, it seems like players are into this. Yeah. I guess they're looking at it like, hey, it's better than training camp. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Let's do this instead. So, Speaking of that, real quick, just yeah. as a quick aside, any chance Marshawn Lynch comes back? Do you think – because he's kind of joking. No, he's not coming back. He's trying to negotiate a settlement with the Seahawks. Okay. Because he was talking a little bit about – there were some things about, oh, he didn't want to retire. He just didn't want to do training camp and stuff like that. No. I'd be surprised if he came. I mean, he could make me look horrible, obviously. I mean, if you're trying to get yourself in Marshawn Lynch's head. He doesn't strike me as a guy that would come back. It seems like he's in that Ricky Williams kind of his own dude. Yeah, I think mold. he's just negotiating with the Seahawks. I think he wants to get a little bit of that money, and they don't want to give it. But gotcha. He could put them in a bad spot if he just comes back or whatever. Okay, you know. So, uh, last thing, did you see CM Punk? I saw like an animated GIF, and it didn't look good. Yeah, CM Punk did not win his first fight. So. I'm kind of laying in bed. I'm thinking, like, oh, I think I'm going to go to bed. And I, I see that, oh, the CM Punk fight is next. So I grab the laptop, and I 
Um, I'm Dana White's worst nightmare, I guess. Yeah. Pay-per-view, the UFC, I went to a website that was airing it. Yeah. I assume they got the rights to air it. Sure. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know their business. but uh, So I watched CM Punk, and it took him probably 20 minutes to get down to the ring. You know, his song plays. It's like, would he use his wrestling theme? And he did. The Cult of Personality. Okay. I Live in Color was uh-huh. his song. And he comes down, got a smile on his face. You know, he's soaked in the moment a little bit. He's standing there before he got in the cage. Big pop from the crowd in Cleveland. People are into it. You know, yeah, CM Punk. And he gets in the ring. They ring the bell. He kind of rushes at the guy. And the guy goes low, takes him down. Beats him up for two minutes until he tapped. Yeah, he had he had one missed punch. Wow, that was it. No other offense. Hmm. I mean, I assume when you get a guy like that in there, you probably try to put him against what's the term in boxing or UFC? It's something can like a garbage can or like something it's tough when you're possibly the lowest of all garbage cans. So. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, he fought against a kid named Mickey Gall, who's like two and zero now. Oh, in UFC, yeah. I mean, it wasn't this guy. The thing is, that, is, that's tough for Dana White. I don't, I don't know what what he accomplishes there because that looks a little sideshowy. Unless, but unless he knew is there it, anything wrong with that? I mean, okay, so he paid CM Punk five hundred thousand dollars just to appear, just cash, right? Mm-hmm. And then supposedly he gets a pay per view bonus. There might have been, there might be some other bonuses in there, but he gets the five hundred thousand dollars. His opponent got. 15,000 to fight and a 15,000 win bonus. That's so crazy. his opponent who won, who's, a, I guess, a more legit fighter, only made 30 grand. But building was sold out in Cleveland. Yeah. The highest buzz on social media was during the CM Punk fight. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's... like You see memes and stuff on the internet like, oh, why does this football player make $10 million and this doctor or a cop... Sometimes you're a draw, and CM Punk right. was a draw. It has to do with how much you bring the in. The question is, is now do you do it again? I tend to think you got to kind of give him a second fight. I guess Dana White did say, like, maybe his next fight should be somewhere else. But he can't go down. You can't be an amateur once you've been a pro. You know, once you turn pro, you're pro. There's no amateurs. Right. And it's, he's not going to let him fight in Bellator, right? He's not just going to give the... Give him away. Give him away. Yeah, I mean, I guess... So, I think you got to let him fight one more time. I guess the people that, are going to pay for it. it then you, you give him his money, and eventually people will get old, and they'll... Or it'll get old to people. It's one of those things where he can say, look it, I rushed the guy I shouldn't have. I was an inexperienced fighter in the cage. I made a mistake. A little jacked. You know, Brock Lesnar got tapped out in his first fight. His third fight, he won the world championship. Right. That's not going to happen for CM Punk. He doesn't. It's not that kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. But I think you should give him a second fight. I just, I think. I don't know. But it was bad. I mean, it was as bad as you can fight. Yep. You know? I mean, who was the guy that, I'm not going to remember his name on the spot, but Conor McGregor knocked out this Brazilian dude in 10 seconds. He punched him in the nose and knocked him out, right? So that doesn't mean that other guy's garbage and should never sure. fight in UFC. Right. Now, I know that's different. Yeah, it's one thing to get tagged. But. Yeah. Yeah, why not? So we'll see if CM Punk gets another date in UFC. Does he have a background at all in it? Or is he just no. training for this? Okay, he's yeah. not like, because like you said, Brock. I mean, he's Yeah, not, he's not Brock. Okay. Yeah. All right. We are going to take a break, and we'll be right back with uh, John Wertheim.
All right, our next guest is from Bloomington, Indiana, and is a graduate of Yale. Uh, his first appeared on the Sportscasters when he was promoting his New York Times bestselling book, Scorecasting, the Hidden Influences Between How Sports Are Played and Games Are Won. Uh, since then, he's come on 15 times, which is more than just about anybody. Uh, a warm Sportscasters welcome to the executive editor of Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim. What's going on, Mr. Wertheim? How you doing? Good. How are you? Not bad. This this background music's all well and good, but the real question is, uh, how many appearances ahead of me is Lee Jenkins? Only five. Ooh, you're closing right. in. There's a kind of a dark secret about uh, Jenkins is that he's kind of over it. I think <laughs> he's a busy man. <laughs> he is a, a very busy. Man. He's a very busy man. He's he, you know he's, he's got his own podcast now. You know, and he's got his writing, and he's just not—he's just not as available as he once was. So you're catching up. Everyone's right. catching up to Lee. We love Lee. He's the best. He's given us Lee's great. twenty more than he ever needed to. That's for sure. So he's the man. Uh, what? Um, so tonight, let's start here. Tonight, SI is kind of teamed up with Twitter, and there's going to be this Bills and Jets game is going to be on streaming on Twitter. Tell me about what's going on with this. These are uh, volatile media times, if you uh, if you haven't heard. I um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's let's see how it goes. I think everybody um, is sort of interested in this in the media game. Is sort of interested in this. Is this a one-off? Is this how we're going to be consuming this kind of a glimpse into the future of uh, sports consumption? So we will be streaming the Twitter game, as it's uh, called. I don't know when this is airing, so maybe we will have streamed <laughs> yeah, the Twitter game. It'll probably go up uh, by the time it's over, yeah. But um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, you know, this is this is. There's not a media outlet there that isn't trying to uh, kind of hedge and figure out a little bit where this rapidly moving train is going, and it does seem as though uh, social media plus live sports uh, plus streaming technology. Seems like a pretty good combination, so uh, I, we'll see how this game goes tonight. I mean, obviously, we, we had the, the Yahoo game last year, which was a, l- a little different, but same idea. And, um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's, I, I think we're all kind of uh, e- eager to see what this looks like and what the numbers are and how this plays out relative to uh, TV games. But um, exciting times in the old media space. It was the Bills last year, too, wasn't it? I just thought of that. Wasn't it Bills and Jaguars that was the Yahoo game? It was a London, yeah, yeah. It was it was a Bill Jaguars. It was a uh, or was it at it was, it was a London game. Yeah. So uh, I, I think you're right. Jag- Jaguars are always London for uh, a variety of reasons. But right. um, yeah, this is obviously Bill's Jets. Interesting. And what exactly is SI's role? Like, is it on SINow.com or at at SINow? Is that like how you find? Yeah, it? Yeah, you'll, you'll you'll be able to watch it at SI.com. Gotcha. Very interesting. Very cool. I know there's an app for the Apple TV. Uh, a Twitter app, so you'll be able to stream it on Apple TV, so that is a convenient right. way to do it. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I want to hit you with a hard one, and remember that we're recording, so just answer the question if you want to take anything out after we can. But no, come on, try that again. You can't, uh, you, you don't want to, people, we're all big boys. People, <laughs> uh, don't, don't give people the opportunity to uh, self-edit. Oh, it is a hard one, though. So, all right, so let's just say right, we'll, we'll hit you with it and we'll go from there. So, I was reading yesterday about how Time Inc. I don't know what the word is, but parted ways with the CEO, who's going to make about 
$6 million this year to not do anything. And that's a week after SI has had to, again, let talented people go. I know Don Banks has been very open about it, so I'll use his name as one of the people who uh, is no longer with SI. Uh, And I just wonder how you feel as the executive editor of a magazine within Time, Inc., uh, someone who is in an editorial position, and you're trying to, as you said, diversify the magazine, find other outlets, fight for viability in the volatile world of media, as you said, and you are representing a company that's going to pay a guy $6 million to sit on the sidelines. So just how does that make you feel? Like, What goes through your mind when you read stuff like I did, I'm sure, yesterday about it? Yeah, I mean, there, I think there, there are a lot of strands to this, and I, and I don't think there are any... I don't think anyone's on the sidelines. I mean, I think this is a this is a CEO who had a health scare and is having a role change, and the successor is someone I've, I've sort of worked with internally. So this, this is not. Um, I mean, I think this succession plan was in place for a while, okay. and you know, I mean, this this is uh, this is kind of the this is what's the quote from uh, this is this, this is the game we're all playing, and uh, you know, executives are. Paid at certain wages and have certain contracts, and this is true in every industry. This is true in sports. I, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I just to be clear, I don't think this guy is doing nothing. I mean, this is this is Joe Rip is the outgoing CEO, CEO who's going to have a uh, another title and still be involved in the board. And again, he he had a health scare, so he's switching roles. But um, oh, yeah, you nice. know, I mean, I, I think that the the larger issue is just sort of. Where where timing is going, but the even larger issue is sort of where media is going, and everyone is trying to figure out where the audience is coming from, and what the platform is going to be, and how to monetize that platform, and whether you know it, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know if I should go too deep in here, especially since I just stripped myself of the ability to edit this. But you know, I, I did some. I've worked for uh, a number of networks recently in different capacities, and. Everyone is trying to figure out this this overarching riddle, and it's not just that the numbers are shifting, and it's not just that you know Facebook and Google are taking audience. A lot of it's more sort of future looking, and what is the media landscape going to look like in five, ten, fifteen years? How do you still do journalism and still keep your brand when there's a recognition? We all know people are consuming media in different ways than they did five years ago, and they will consume it in different ways five years down the road, and, you know, I mean, again, the, the business model is, is changing. It's changed immensely since I started at Sports Illustrated, but if you asked someone from ESPN or NBC or CBS, uh, they, they would have the same answer. And it, in a way, it's made it a, a little scary. I mean, it's it's a, sort of a wobbly terrain. And at the same time, it's made it really exciting that you're doing things you never thought you would be doing i mean i I think about the last 24 hours and you know i did podcast with dirk nowitzki and did a video with uh with Paige van zandt the mma fighter and i was you know doing tv at the u.s open a week ago and it's just it's a really different job than i think a lot of us signed up for and parts of that are unsettling and parts of that are really exhilarating but but i see that as something totally divorced from you know an outgoing executive who's changing his title and being paid, uh, you know, people people are 
paid, paid what they're worth. I mean, I think this this is a, a conversation you could have in any industry about um, about compensation. But but I think the the real issue is just kind of where's media going, and that's something that we all think about every day. Yeah, Joe Rip is the outgoing CEO. He's going to be board chairman now, and he'll be replaced by uh, Rich Batista. Rich Batista. One other thing that SI has done, we talked about uh, Twitter and football, uh, also microsites and the idea of, of it. And although SI.com has at times been a headache, I'm sure, for you during your reign as executive editor, I'm sure we would agree that Peter King's it's site. It's the vastly improved SI.com is what uh, absolutely. we're referring to it vastly as. Vastly improved, absolutely. But right. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, I totally agree with you on that because the last one there was nowhere to go but up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, but the uh, microsite MMQB I think has been a huge hit, and I'm holding in my hand right now the MMQB issue of Sports Illustrated, and I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on the work that Peter King and his staff has done at MMQB and how you think the value of a microsite like that enhances the overall Sports Illustrated brand. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we came to the conclusion. I think Peter's really the first one internally where it was sort of like, what what what's the harm? I mean, you you keep sort of the base and you keep SI dot com, but what's the harm of sort of having this satellite state that essentially, uh, I mean, all the traffic rolls up, so it, it's not as though revenue's leaving the door. But what what's the pro- What's why wouldn't you sort of promote? this great asset and you could shape its own identity and it doesn't detract from your other coverage. And I think that's something, I don't know if this is, uh, let's, let's, I'm not sure what I'm at liberty to say, but so, suffice to say there uh, are other significant microsites in the works. And um, I, I think it's been really good for the brand. I think it's been good for Peter. I think that the quality speaks for itself. And I think that it's really, um, I mean, it's really something that no no one else is doing the content that MMQB is doing, both yeah. from a quality standpoint, from a story idea standpoint, from an access standpoint. I think it really is distinguished, and I think if you can brand it with someone like Peter, why why wouldn't you do that? And I think that that's been a big success, and I think, um, again, at the risk of overstepping bounds here, I think that's something we're going to be uh, looking into doing more of. Right, well, I think there was a... The college rush one. I mean, is it with you know Andy Staples to to some degree? Maybe not the same. Uh, has launched as well, um, and ESPN obviously did it with Simmons, um, and that worked until it didn't, I guess. But for different reasons, uh, and he's out there doing his own thing now. But yeah, I think uh, you know Richard Deitch and I always talk about the micro sites, and I think the value they have, and I'm excited to see what else uh, SI does. Uh, so Chris Stone moved up. And he's kind of doing something else within, with all of the, I guess, sports magazines within uh, Time Inc. How has it changed things for right. you, if at all? How's it? Sorry, I lost you there. How, said, how's how it, has it changed things for you, if at all? Yeah, it really. I mean, honestly, it, it really hasn't much. And we're all, um, you know, we're we're all kind of doing a, a million things. And I think that. Uh, Again, things used to be a lot more rigid in terms of digital and print and video, and now it, it's really become a lot more integrated. And there will be times, there will be days, even weeks, when I have very little to do with the print magazine, and it's mostly, you know, you'll be working on a, a video initiative or you'll be working uh, on, on a digital launch, and other weeks it'll be uh, the opposite. I think I think we're, I mean, it's something that's been, in the works for a while, and it's been a priority, but I think the idea is not to have these 
silos and these walls where people can say, oh, I don't work on that, I'm a magazine person. I think it's kind of one SI, and these are all different sort of angles, but it's ultimately uh, sort of one one entity with different platforms. All right, let's talk about some of those million things. We've got 15 minutes, I want to hit three of them. I want to talk about tennis, I want to talk about CM Punk, and I want to talk about Marshawn Lynch. Let's start with Marshawn Lynch. Oh, man. Let's, let's, let's say, uh, all right, what do you got? Uh, it's, it's, this is an interesting array of categories. It but, is. Uh, go well, ahead. Hey, you're doing a million things, so that takes us in a million different places, I guess. Uh, let's start with let's start with Marshawn Lynch, because I thought you did a great job with uh, the piece on Showtime and 60 Minute Sports, which is also spun off into an interview in the magazine and a long-form piece, long piece on the web. Uh, he said to you, I don't have the exact quote, we'll paraphrase, a paraphrase, but he even said, which camera do you want me to look in? I'm retired. And he said uh-huh. it over and over again. And now news comes out this week that maybe he's not retired. Do you think he's just kind of negotiating here with the Seahawks and trying to earn a settlement? Or do you think there's a chance this guy actually comes back? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think I'm not entirely sure he knows. The the one thing I think is kind of interesting about the situation is that usually, I mean, I've seen it so many times where the athlete wants to play and the athlete is sort of deluded into thinking they can still play and people around him have to sort of gingerly say, well, come on, why don't you go out on top? Or, you know, it's a big world out there. You've had your fun. Now let someone else have a turn. And the athlete uh, has these delusions of grandeur that they can still play. This is the opposite. I mean, everybody around Marshawn is like, you could go out there tomorrow. You still have some football left in you. You're going to regret this. Why aren't you playing? You're leaving money on the table. He's the one that I think is is the holdout. I mean, look, would it surprise me, especially later on in the season, would it surprise me if he ended up uh, as the short yardage back on a playoff team, whether it's Seattle or or someone else, uh, and gave himself a chance to win another ring? That that would not surprise me. I, I tended to think that um, I mean, he's, I, for by all accounts, he's, he's stayed in shape. Um, you know, this is not a guy that that's ballooned and he's got to go lose forty pounds if he wants to play uh, football again. But um, I, you know, you 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 never know how you're going to handle this retirement, especially from something like sports where you do this a a at a young age, retire and b. Do it with the knowledge that you may never be able to replicate the experience and the excitement and being that good at something. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't envy athletes with having to make this choice and deciding when to say when. But I, I do, um, I, I do tend to think if it would have happened, it would have happened already. And he, you know, August would have rolled around and hey, this is when I usually go to camp and I'm hearing all this uh, speculation and fantasy starting and shit. I got to be. Why am I not out there? I'm I'm surprised that uh, if he wasn't, if he is going to come back, I'm surprised it hadn't happened already. But uh, I I honestly think he doesn't know, and I don't think this is some big coy plan. And in week eight, he's going to appear in a Superman cape. I I think he is um, still trying to figure this out. But what's interesting to me again is that the people around him, they all think he's crazy for not playing and not uh, getting everything he can out of this. And he's the one that seems to be pumping the brakes. Usually it's, uh, you know, you don't need another fight, champ. Go out on top. Right. Did you enjoy your time with him? Like, he's such a polarizing guy, and so much of us get to see so little of him. How did you How did you enjoy your time with the guy? Um, I, I really liked him, and I, yeah, I hope that came out. This was a 60 Minutes uh, sports piece that we, as you say, we, we um, used at Sports Illustrated as well. I, I, I liked him a lot, and I think um, 
you know, you you always respect authenticity, and if you saw the interview, you could say he he did not adjust his uh, his diction or his language because there was a camera there. And the the other thing about him is there's a um, you know a a tough exterior and a warm interior, and you you ended up thinking this this is a guy who doesn't traffic and bullshit, but at the end of the day, he's he's a good guy. And uh, I, I really, I really liked him. Did you ever end up getting him Taco Bell, or what happened with that? Yeah, no Taco, no. no. Uh, what was it? No motherfucking quesadillas. <laughs> yeah, you. Um, I, I take issue with that. <laughs> he had plenty of chances to uh, not only eat but eat for free, and uh, I, I, I take issue with the fact that he was not uh, well fed, or at least not given the option to eat. But but uh, other than that, that was it's, it's so funny what people remember from that interview. But uh, he. Um, He's 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 one of a kind. I'll give him that. We don't know if he's ever going to play. If Marshall Lynch is ever going to play again, should CM Punk ever fight in the UFC again? Uh, see, you're. Uh, I thought you were going to say fight again. <laughs> I I, th- I got two answers. He he should fight again. Yeah, and he will. I think. I think that's. I think he's um, made it clear on that. I, I he. I mean, I, it's funny you said that because it I was thinking my two favorite interviews I did last year may have been. Uh, Marshawn Lynch and CM Punk. I, I thought CM Punk was terrific. Yeah. And, um, again, no bullshit guy, smart guy. I think, you know, M- MMA, is. I think Brock Lesnar sort of uh, gave people the wrong idea that, hey, Brock Lesnar was this Olympic caliber wrestler who then went to WWE and, uh, you know, and then became an, uh, an MMA champ. But I think the fact that he was such a good wrestler up through college – Hey, here's a trivia question for you, by the way. Who did Brock Lesnar lose to in the... I think this is true. Who did Brock Lesnar lose to in the NCAA heavyweight final? Um, Craig, Craig Neal of the Patriots is the answer. Oh. So, so here, you, here you have a WWE superstar and a uh, NFL player, and they uh, were in the finals of the NCAA heavyweight uh, division. But, uh, no, I mean, see, you know, MMA, I mean, it's, it's a real sport. This is not yanking guys out of bars. This is not... Uh, Hey, I was a good college wrestler, and I just learned a few throw a few punches. I mean, when they say CM Punk, they said he trained for two years for this, and I said two years. These other he's going against guys that have been doing this for fifteen years. <laughs> so um, you know, this, this is a real sport with real skills, and they get exposed, and that's what happened. I mean, he looked like you know what he looked like. He looked like a thirty-seven year old man who uh, took up a sport two years ago. Right. You would not expect a guy who picked up golf clubs two years ago, no matter how many, even if you went to the range every day to uh, be playing on the PGA Tour, and it's not so different with this. So I, I think CM Punk will fight again. I don't think, I mean, I think it was clear he is not a UFC caliber But the thing fighter. is, is I mean, he can't go back to amateur, right? Because, I mean, once you turn pro, you can't be amateur. And I can't imagine that Dana White's going to No, but there are, million, there are a million Bellator, promotions out there. And he can, I mean, so someone would be happy to have him. He has a huge following. He has a huge social media following. Right, but is Dana you White know, I mean, there are any of them? ten fight promotions that would be happy to have him. And Dana White's going to be okay with letting him go to those? Because, I mean, he's still under contract. He has to be caught, right, to fight for one of those other places? Yeah, I don't know what they do about that. But I think, I don't know the nature of his, I mean, I, I assume he has more than a one-fight contract. Yeah, but, I he, but, he, I mean, but, he, but even Dana White was quick to say, like, I, I don't know if this guy's a UFC caliber fighter. And uh, I think, um, well, let me ask you, you know, this. I mean, I guess yeah, I we No, sure. yeah, but, let me ask you this, because I, how, I mean, I, I, I watched him fight, and I know that it looked bad, but how is it different than, you know, when 
a guy gets knocked out in the first punch or like Brock Lesnar tapped out within the first round of his first fight. He was the champion in his third fight. I know CM Punk's never going to be the champion or whatever, but why was his first round loss so bad compared to other first round losses? I mean, he got caught being too aggressive, got taken down and got tapped out. That's happened a million times in UFC, right? Why doesn't a guy who had no in-ring fight experience, why doesn't, why doesn't he get another chance not to make that mistake? Yeah, I, and that's a fair point. I mean, I think some of it is age. Some of it's thirty-seven years old. Okay. Some of it is the fact you know Brock, Brock Lesnar got uh, you know Brock, Brock Lesnar had some brutal fights, but he was fighting for belts. I mean, this this was a hand-picked opponent who uh, has very little experience. I mean, a lot of people have never heard of this Mickey Gall. opponent. Yeah. Yeah, and it also looked like I mean, CM Punk sort of charged out fight went to the ground and he literally you know, he'd be basically held on for until he until he chapped. I mean he literally didn't didn't land a single blow, didn't I mean did no damage. And again, keep keep in mind he, he had a hand picked opponent without much track record. That's different than Brock Lesnar, you know, fighting Kane Velasquez for a belt and uh eating a planet with Kane. But you know, that that's um I, I just think it looked like what it was, which was a very passionate 37-year-old man who deserves credit for getting in there, but not offering any resistance and not showing much in the way of ground skills. Right. And that's fair. I just, I don't know. I just wonder, like, what do you do? do? I mean, he made 500 grand for that fight. His opponent made 30. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the thing. But he's fighting a 30 grand. I mean, he's he he was fighting sort of a a low level UFC fighter and, and didn't put a scratch on the guy at age thirty seven. That's that's a problem. If this guy, ends but you up, know, I mean, good good for him for getting in there. And I just wonder too, like the story of Mickey Gall hasn't been written yet either. I mean, if he's ten and zero in you know three years, we're going to look back and say maybe this guy wasn't as bad as we thought. I don't know. Uh, the sports guys. Yes, are, that's you know that's possible. Good yeah, point. the sports guys are here with John Wertheim, executive editor at SI. He's at John underscore Wertheim on Twitter. Uh, of course, you can find him on SI dot com and in the pages of Sports Illustrated, and apparently sometimes on other shows too, like when I turned on uh, sixty Minute Sports and he was there. Uh, let's last thing. Let's figure. Let's finish on this. I'm sure you enjoyed some time uh, in New York City the last few weeks at the U.S. Open, um, the last major of the year. It's an interesting year for tennis because they have the Olympics mixed in there. Uh, let's start with the best. Uh, Serena, she made some finals. She won Wimbledon, Wimbledon, uh, but she lost the U.S. Open in the semis again, and she didn't win at the Olympics. How was her year? I would say B minus, B. Okay. She is 35 years old later this month. That's a... It's an awfully big number for a uh, tennis player. She did not win uh, three majors as she did last year. She didn't even win two. She only won one. As you say, she lost early at the Olympics. But, you know, I mean, she she was right. At the Olympics, she had a shoulder injury, so I discount that. And at the four majors, she got to the final of two of them. Well, three, really, because she won one. Well, yeah, I was going to say, she she was a losing finalist at two. She was a winning finalist at the third at Wimbledon. And she got to the semis of the U.S. Open. So I think, you know, it wasn't like she was losing early to no names. I mean, she was getting to the business end of tournaments. The weird thing was just 
she had a hard time closing. And for her whole career, that was where she was at her best. They always, you know, we always used to say, if you're going to get her, you better get her early because once you get to uh, the final rounds, she's unstoppable. So it was a different look from her, and I think some of this was mental. I think some of this was just, you know, she's she's playing for these four events and these four events only, and I think maybe she puts too much pressure on herself. But I think that uh, she probably wins another major two next year. You know, she's ranked number two now. She lost her number one ranking, but she, she's still squarely in the mix. I mean, you know, she's still probably in the eyes of most people the number one player in tennis. She hasn't had this, you know, Kobe style drop off. There were never uh, moments where you said, "Boy, this is embarrassing." But she also didn't win, as she always uh, is, the expectation is. So it, it was a weird year for her. She got one slam. She tied Steffi Graf again. She got to the business end of all four of them. But seeing Serena come up short in these big matches is something that uh, not many of us are used to. I'd love to talk more tennis, but let's finish on this because let's go for a big picture thing. Obviously, golf has had a really tough time in the post-Tiger Woods era, and it seems like we're kind of getting to a transition point for tennis. We talked about Serena getting older. Uh, Federer might never have as good of a look at another major as he did last year. Uh, We saw kind of the fall of Nadal a little bit this year. Uh, Djokovic is getting beat now and again, which seemed impossible a few years ago. Uh, where do you see the future of tennis? Can they pivot from this really, really a great era where they kind of seamlessly went, you know, from um, Sampras into uh, into um, Federer, into Nadal, and Serena's kind of ruled below in, in the women, uh, not necessarily below, but as well in the, in the women's. Uh, how will tennis pivot from this point? That's a great question. That's a question that a lot of people are. Uh... I would say there's there's a fair amount of concern about what this transition is going to look like. I think at some level it depends on who, you know, they're always going to have these big four events, right? They're always going to be winners, mm-hmm. right? So as long as they're going to stop holding Wimbledon because Roger Federer is retired, <laughs> I think the question becomes who wins these events. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a crop of young Americans coming up. If we have three Americans in the top ten, we may be in a better position than we are now when they're zero, I mean, that could be great for the sport. And you say, like, oh, it's American-centric and it's parochial, but the truth is when American players do well, the sport does better. And that's just, you know, it's it's ESPN, it's Nike, it's markets, it's the power of the American consumer, whatever it is, it's better for a sport if there are three Americans and if there are three Serbs. Um, I think, look, if, if Djokovic continues to dominate, I, I do think one thing about tennis, it's better to have dominance than this any game golf has seen the same thing this right. sort of any given tournament anyone can win that's not a great place to be especially in an individual sport i mean if you say to golf what would you rather have tiger even to some extent phil or four majors four different winners four majors and the guy who won the last major doesn't even make the cut you want dominance so i think if tennis can in this transition period if a few players can step up, that's much preferable to every tournament has a different winner. So I, I think a lot. I think a lot of how tennis fares in this kind of post-Serena, post-Federer era depends on the winners of these uh, the winners of these events. If I gave, so who knows? If I gave you fifty grand and said, "Here, you have to put this on the one player that you think in ten years we'll be talking about 
as the person who did what you described, who would that player be? Uh, that is a great question. And I do, I do hope it's the answer. I mean, even if I lose my 50 grand, right. I hope there's one player and I, I hope we're not in a scenario where, you know, you, you've got 20 majors and 16 different winners, but you know, there, there's a German player, uh, Sasha Zverev, Z-V-E-R-E-V, big, big talk kid that a lot of the pros like this young American Taylor Fritz, um, and there's a kid, Francis Tiafo, who uh, is from Maryland, African-American, great backstory, great kid. He's the kind of guy who could really elevate the sport. So who who knows? I mean, 10 years, I guess. It's funny because sometimes you, like Serena, we all saw coming down the pike. And, you know, she was right. she won the U.S. Open, uh, you know, in 1999 when she was, well, whatever, 17 years old. Other times, you know, Nadal's a player people saw coming. I don't think people necessarily would have said, boy, when Andy Murray's 29 years old, he's going to have three majors and two Olympic gold medals. So, I mean, this, the talent prediction game is hard in tennis. Um, but, and, you know, and, and I'm sometimes the best junior players can't make the transition, and sometimes there are injuries. I mean, you just, it's hard. But I do, my, my overall point is I, I hope a few players grab the reins and we're not in a situation like golf is in where, Every major seems to be a different guy. Right, and that was the case this year in golf. Four majors, four different guys. All right, John Wertheim, you said a lot. In the words of Howard Stern, you may have said it all. So we'll, we, can, we can kind of end on that. You can find Mr. Wertheim on Twitter. He's there at John underscore Wertheim. And, of course, you could read his book, Scorecasting. And uh, what was the name of the fake Scorecasting sequel from last year? I can see it. It's over there, but I can't read the title. Your Brain on Sports. Your Brain on Sports. That's right. You can get that as well in ebook format or in the bookstores. And Sports Illustrated comes in the mail every week if you do it that way. It looks beautiful on the iPad as well. I love reading it that way. And you can get it on Tuesday night, which is great because mine doesn't come in the mail usually till Friday. So it's nice to be able to read it on Tuesday. Oh, man. You can find him there, and we'll see where he shows up on uh, TV as well. Anything else you wanted to plug or add? Uh, no, all good. Appreciate all right. it. 15 in Always the books. A pleasure. Thank you. All right, we'll talk. Take care. All right, I want to thank John Wertheim for being on the podcast. It's always great when the executive editor of Sports Illustrated stops by. Is he number two on the list still? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just mean in terms of volume, not in terms of. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant like in charge at SI. Uh, no, no, no. I meant um, list of appearances. He's yeah, no, he's second. Second, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the book club is packed and busy. Yeah, it went from not having it in August to there being a there's literally, literally a, a box, box full yeah. of books out in my living room. All right, so let's take this three books at a time. Let's start with September. Okay. All right. So two books in September, technically, although we're going to be working three because our October book, we're going to just full steam ahead. This is the newest one to the list. I saw it existed. It interests me. I sent an email. They were into it. So we'll do it. It's after cool. further review. My life, including the infamous, controversial and unforgettable calls that changed the NFL. Mike Pereira's book. He's the best at doing what he does, being that guy on TV that talks yeah. about calls on the field. 
it seemed like it'd be an easy job for every ref, but we've seen refs fail at it. He's really the best. And the book is really cool. I look through it and it's about his life, but there's also a section that is just him talking about like plays that change football. And like, like the Calvin Johnson no catch. Yeah, the um, Chicago right, the Music City Miracle. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there's also a section of like how to call things like dead ball fouls and shots to the head and. Um, Ooh, speaking of that, we didn't yeah, talk with Cam about Newton. that. Cam Newton, yeah. Ooh, bad job by the refs. Yeah, uh, Cam Newton. You got to remember though, we don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but we can since we're talking a book about officiating. Yeah. There's different protections for a quarterback in the pocket or a and a quarterback, quarterback who's running. Sure, right. And if Cam Newton's going to run around all the time, yep. there's going to be gray, gray area right. of sure. does he have that protection right now or doesn't he? You know, And also, I don't think on that one that offset, I don't understand why people think it shouldn't be a penalty for intentional grounding just because, just because he got hit in the head after he threw it. Sure. Of course it's intentional grounding. Right. Um, but anyway, I, I know we haven't, you haven't read that book yet. Yeah, no, I just got it. Do you know if he gets into maybe rules, he would change like the one criticism of the NFL always is nobody knows what it catches. Right. How would Mike Pereira talks about the controversial rules in the game. That's cool. And I think about how he would like to see them called, how they're currently called. That's cool. Uh, it looks like a really easy read. I'm excited. I'm going to finish it this week. So we can talk more about that next week. It's available now in bookstores. It's available in ebooks. It's only ten bucks on um, on Apple in an Apple bookstore. Uh, it's probably about that in Amazon. Again, it's called After Further Review: My Life, Including the Infamous, Controversial, and Unforgettable Calls That Changed the NFL. Mike Prayer, and we do have a copy of this to give away as well. That's funny that uh, I'm not picking on his book by any means, but the there's After Further Review, and then there's the the long set of words after it that has that's become the thing with every book now every it has, book, hasn't it? yeah every book has a title and then some other long title so does this our other book this one we don't have a copy to give away um but it's called tv the book two experts pick the greatest american shows of all time Ooh. it's by alan seppenwall and matt zoller sites these two guys worked together as tv critics back when a newspaper could have two tv critics okay uh for the star ledger in new jersey and now they're arguably two of the most famous critics out there. But Sites works for um, RogerEbert.com doing movies now. Okay. So Everybody what they did was is they created a statistical formula. Okay. So they have six categories where a show could score between 0 and 10. And then they each gave it a score from 0 to 10. And then they ranked the top 100 shows by these scores. the scores. So there's innovation. Influence, consistency, performance, storytelling, and peak. Okay, when you said that, I thought they were all measurables. So the only one that would be measurable would be what? Uh, you said performance. I assume that means ratings no, or something. None of them are measurable. No, okay. No, they're all intangibles. Okay, that's cool though. Critics everyone, being critics. Everyone likes lists. Okay, so now here's the thing we'll start with. We'll talk about this with the book today. There's a five-way tie for first place. Okay. We're gonna we're not gonna spoil it, are we? Are we allowed to spoil? We're it? gonna spoil it. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, they've been spoiling it as well. Oh, they have uh, online and on their twitters okay. and stuff, and in other media. What? Uh, the book isn't to find out what the list is. The book is to read the essays for each show. Okay. So essentially, you have the hundred shows ranked, and then there's an essay for each show. Okay. One of the two writes the essay, and then there's also other lists within the book. Um, 
there's a whole and there's like other sections like there's a section on the shows that weren't eligible because they're still running like Orange is the New Black or the Americans weren't considered so they haven't finished their run what about the Simpsons that was considered it was an exception okay they made a few so a five-way tie at 112 points for the Simpsons the Sopranos the Wire Cheers and Breaking Bad so really the first 25 pages of this book I read it the other night are them arguing about how they would break the tie Okay. So the first thing they did is they thought that Cheers was probably the least of the five. Just based on their critical opinion. Yeah, they kind of separated them out. Like they said, all right, we have the two the two sitcoms, Cheers and is The Simpsons. Simpsons. Okay. And then we have the three, you know, dramas. dramas. And they kind of right away assumed that The Simpsons was better than Cheers. Uh, so And then they figured that Cheers wasn't as good as the other three dramas. So they put Cheers at fifth. Five, okay. Yeah. So then they kind of put the Simpsons to the side for a minute and they started talking about the dramas. And for whatever reason, they all just kind of felt like Breaking Bad just wasn't going to be able to stand up to The Sopranos or to The Wire. Okay. I think they thought a little bit like that maybe the art of Breaking Bad, that the goals of it, they were more about clean and tidy endings and putting a bow on things and kind of like there's less ambiguity in the show. There's not, there's very little. Yeah. And that I think they penalized them for that. Okay. Um, but maybe a little too, too much spoon feeding the audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that ended up coming in fourth. Uh, and then they went into a really long debate about whether the Simpsons or the Sopranos should be number one. And it goes on for pages and pages. That's and th- tough to compare. And then all of a sudden, Matt Seitz says, all right, I guess The Simpsons is number one. <laughs> like, just all of a sudden, he just concedes and throws in the title. So I believe Alan Seppenwall is going to be on the show Cool. Uh, this month. So we'll find out about his big victory in that. So The Simpsons is number one. Sopranos is number two. The Wire is number three. And it goes on from there. The Simpsons, for me, and I think has been, and maybe still is, uh, the number one pop culture show. Like you can see exactly where things were in the time that the show was on. I mean, based on the artists or the guests or whoever's on it, South Park has maybe surpassed it right now. But as far as like a whole body of work, the Simpsons does that better. Than they anybody. put the Simpsons quality at 13 seasons that they had 13 peak really seasons, one to 13. See South Park, I think has gotten better and better and better. Like they're kind of a, different trajectory it used to be a little bit kind of just vulgar and whatever and now it's it's still super vulgar but it's really like poignant while it does it so this is really fun the book by alan sepawal yeah it's cool and matt sites two acts were picked the greatest american shows of all time it's available now as well so you can get that in e-formats or um in bookstores and we'll talk to alan uh this month although i am nervous about him yeah I don't trust TV critics. They're not, they are not accommodating. Okay. All right. Now, here's the big thing. And this is technically the book club book of the month for October. Okay. And we're going to have other things in October, too. Uh, and we'll be getting ready for at the end of the month is Jeff Perlman's book, his Brad Favre book, Gunslinger. Oh, right. I think that comes out the 25th. But October 6th is the release date of the SL Price book about Pittsburgh that we've been talking about with SL Price for three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. The book is called Playing Through the Whistle, Steel, Football, and American Town. Uh, it's about a place called Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Pittsburgh. 
And it is the birthplace of Ty Law and Mike Dicka and Jarrell Rivas and a former Secretary of State. Yeah, I've heard of it. And yeah. a classical musical composer and one of the groomsmen in my wedding. Um, Pistol Pete Maravich is from there. Wow. Tony Dorsat. Uh, who else is from there? Henry Mancini won four Academy Awards and 12 Grammy Awards is from there. So it's just this little place outside of Pennsylvania that keeps getting smaller and smaller as the steel mill went away, but yet still keeps winning state titles in football and still keeps putting out these athletes. And I'm sure we're going to hear some heartbreaking inner city stories. I just got literally a box of these books. We have 11 books to give away. Wow. Um, and we're going to give them away all month in October and we'll give them away in November. It's going to make a great Christmas gift. Uh, we started pushing it on Twitter. We sold some copies on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Price is happy. We want to <laughs> do right by him. He's been a great person to us and we've looking forward to this book and we really want to, uh, really want to do a good job promoting it. And I'm going to start it this week as well. Uh, Dom, we're going to get you to read this one just because I think it's an important book for us and I know it is for him and we owe it to him. So we're going to do the best job we can. Again, it's called Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football in an American Town. It's by S.L. Price, and you can pre-order it uh, right now on Amazon or in the electronic bookstores as well. Uh, so please do that. Uh, we're looking forward to working this book this month, and uh, we'll do that in October. We'll be plugging it every week, even during September, and we'll be sending the copies out. I'm going to go broke mailing these all over the country, <laughs> but that's okay. And... Um, and then at the end of the month, it'll be time to probably do the same for Jeff. Although I don't think we'll have 11 copies of his book to give away, but hopefully at least one. This is a unique opportunity, I think, to really reach out to a bunch of people who follow the book club and yeah, and to uh, to give these books away. So, All right. That's it for the book club. We'll take a break. Oh, I'll go over them one more time. Uh, Playing Through the Whistle, Steel, Football, in American Town. Pre-order it now by S.L. Price. TV, the book, two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. And the new one, After Further Review, by Mike Pereira. Uh, my life, including the infamous, controversial, and unforgettable calls that changed the NFL. Pre orders are available. <laughs> Our next guest is from Vermont and is a graduate of Keene State College. You know him from his work at the Denver Post and, of course, Bleacher Report. And uh, he's making his ooh, fifth, sixth appearance on the podcast today. We got to break him away from his Kiss Pinball Machine for a few minutes to talk to us. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Adrian Dater. What's up, bud? And who says I'm away from my Kiss Pinball Machine, man? You I brought, brought it here with me to Toronto from Denver. It only costs about $8,000 in shipping, but <laughs> I got the money. So, here in the hotel room. I didn't realize. How are you, Steve? Good. How are you doing, bud? Well, I seem to have caught a cold coming here to Toronto uh, for the World Cup. So uh, Typical. Apologies to the listeners here. Uh, some uh, maybe uh, 
you know, one of Team Canada's players gave it to me yesterday or something. Don't know what. Must keep me away from the rink to keep that my biased commentary away from the uh, the Bleacher Report airwaves. Is there but, a lot of uh, yeah a lot of buzz down there for this or? Uh, I don't think so yet. You know, the problem with this tournament is it's just you know it comes out of nowhere in September, right? I mean, it's, it's we don't even have NHL training camps yet, and yet we're all supposed to sort of switch into high gear already about a. A world championship, you know, it's, it's, I've always had reservations about this tournament, about how well it's going to do in the ratings and stuff, but, uh, those ratings will be watched, closely watched though, because as you know, uh, ESPN has won the broadcast rights to this whole thing and, uh, and they're broadcasting it here and NHL back on ESPN for the first time in 11 years. So, uh, you know, everybody's kind of excited about that at least. I thought, <clears throat> I talked to uh, talked to all the ESPN guys yesterday, and they're they're pretty excited. I, I don't think it's uh, taken over the city though. Uh, everybody's still kind of talking about the Blue Jays a little bit and their pennant run. I, right. It seems to compete just as hard for the front page of the papers here as the World Cup. Well, I was as I was pretty pessimistic about the tournament as well, and then I watched the first most of the first uh, friendly between the U.S. and Canada, and there was nothing friendly about it. I was kind of shocked by the intensity of it and the, the level of play, and I kind of enjoyed it, actually. Yeah, it was great. Those are great games, and hopefully they'll meet again. You know, you know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's definitely, I mean, there's a, there's a definite buzz. The buzz that I sensed yesterday is that the USA really wants to win this tournament. John Tortorella looks as much as, as like he wants to win this as much as anything he's ever won in his life, which is saying a lot. Uh, Dean Lombardi yesterday was talking about John F. Kennedy and the Vietnam and the flag and what what this all means to the U.S. So I mean, he's dialed in, that's for sure. So I, uh, I wish they would have. They really want players. this, and they, and they want to. They want to stick it to Canada in their home country. They really. They, that's the, to me the biggest potential buzz of all is that the Americans, you know, want to come out of here with the, with, the, with that crooked flower vase, which is the unfortunate trophy <laughs> of this whole thing. But anyway. All that sounds great, but they wanted to win so bad, maybe they should have picked better players. Are you a little skeptical about the well, roster they put together? I mean, Phil Kessel was I mean, practically a the bit. MVP, MVP of the Kessel? Stanley Cup. Yeah. Where the hell is Kessel? Why is he not there? I mean, because, because, I mean, Brian, you know, the whole crew didn't like him from the past, and he's got that, you know, you know hockey. I mean, the old guard of hockey, once you get a bad rap in anything, it, it sticks to you for a long time. And, and the rap on Kessel is still among the old guard is that he's still, you know, fat and out of shape. But he, I watched him zip around the ice all last spring winning a Stanley Cup. He didn't look too slow to me, and he seems like he's got a, you know, a good head on his shoulders. And I'd bought him on this term, that's for sure. The guy scores 35, 40 goals every year. Where is he? You're right. I mean... You know, look at some of the offensive names they got on this team. You're like, all right, where the where they're gonna have to win every game two to one. You know, it's uh, it's it's just it is it's a weird omission. He he probably should have won the Conn Smythe. I mean, if Sidney Crosby wasn't on his team, he probably would have won it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you no know, worse than second best. That. I know. I, I think it, we can debate that. I. I don't. I mean, there were a lot of guys on Pittsburgh that could have won. I thought Chris Letang could have won it easily, and I think he really was the best player on the team. Um, you know, um, but Crosby, 
it's as much for his lead. He kind of, I mean, he calmed everybody down in the finals and really took the leadership thing to heart. And I think that's more what the, the coaches thought too. And but uh, yeah, he Kessel had the better stats. Uh, so I don't know. We're uh, bottom line in the World Cup is that uh, you know it'll be fun to watch some of it. I mean, I think uh, I'm excited to see this more of the the world, you know, the North America team, which is 24 and under American and Canadians on the same team. I mean. McDavid and Eichel and McKinnon and uh, Matthews. Matthews it's, yeah. it's not a bad top four right there. So uh, McKinnon had to leave a little bit early yesterday for a death of the family. I think he's coming back Saturday, but uh, he's uh, you know this is going to be to me. I don't think they can win it. I guess, but uh, I think there's you know to me that's going to be the, the most fun to watch of that team. I, I can't wait to see more of McDavid. Yeah, I'll pass on McDavid, but yeah, I'm excited to uh, to see Eichel and Matthews and uh, Goss Despair and um, the future USA Hockey. Yeah. I guess if these guys end up being in the in the in the in the lane in the chosen lane, they don't end up on the outside looking in like Hustle for some reason. But uh, yeah, boy, Matthews is a uh, he's already got all the cliches down. Boy, he's uh, well schooled in all the boring hockey cliches. Oh yeah, which is unfortunate he's because he's cliche. really. Yeah. And he's another face of hockey going forward, but yet, you know, he has no personality whatsoever so far, at least with media scrum. So um, I'm sure he's a great kid down uh, privately and all that, but uh, he's, we got another dry interview here for a hockey superstar. It's interesting. I think uh, I think Kane is going to be the, the, the villain in this tournament. I think he's going to get an all-star game-like reception before the games in Toronto, and I think that, that could motivate him. I think Kane could have a really huge tournament. Yeah, I I don't know if he's the villain as much anymore with this, you know, the off-ice stuff. Uh, you know, he got acquitted. Uh, I, I think Patrick Kane is turning the corner with his reputation. I'm obviously not going to cheer for Patrick Kane here in Canada, but uh, I don't think he's going to get a huge villainous boo or anything like you know, Todd Bertuzzi in his first game back in Denver back in 2006. Well, yeah, I remember that, that. that's a different level, I that guess, was, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, Oh, that team looks good. He's he was funny. He was talking yesterday, and he was like, "God, I can't believe I'm 28 years old. <laughs> this is my tenth year in the league." And he's got you know 18 year olds on his team now, like or no, not 18, but they're on the other team, you know, around them anyway. Like, right. Damn, man, I'm going too fast. Yeah, so, he's barely got any hair left. Yeah, he's he's got a little, but yeah, it's pretty high on the forehead. There, he's got a five head. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, you talked to Duchesne a bit yesterday about the whole Patrick Waugh situation. What was his vibe like? Yeah. Well, he's a little, you know, kicked off, and he got some bad press about that whole cheering for the goal thing and Waugh ripped him. And, but, you know, I told him myself, like, you know, what are we supposed to do with that, Matt? I mean, you know, Patrick Waugh comes out and blasts you like that after a game. Of course we're going to take it and run with it. So, but he... He claims that it all did between them, and he called uh, Bois called him right after, um, and uh, you know, all good, and he learned a lot from him, and uh, shocked though that he quit, and now he's got a new coach to deal with, and so it's. I think Matthew Shane likes likes being in Team Canada a lot more. He does for Colorado Avalanche. So let's just put it that way. And he loves the Avs. He wants to win, but. He, <laughs> He's, uh, you know, he knows he's going to go from this team to back to Denver where 
where everybody's expecting pretty much a last place finish again in the central division. Maybe if they played in the southeast, they'd be top two, but not in this division. So I talked to Semyon Varlamov, too. He's he, a little more interesting there. I have a story coming out on that. I, you know, he never he never got a call from Patrick Waugh. So he's hurt by it. Yeah, he said it hurts. Uh, like he's gone and it stings and and he's going to miss him. And uh, so yeah, I, I have heard rumors that Wob lost some faith in him toward the end of last year. And uh, the fact that he, he never called Wilomov is kind of a, yeah. uh, you know, surprise and uh, perhaps an indication that Wob just kind of brushed him off after a while and didn't didn't want to talk to him. That is Patrick Waugh. He, he can seem like your best friend one minute, and then like he, he's never known you at all ever in the next minute. So it's, uh, guys like Varlamov are kind of maybe finding this out. What did you think of Ovechkin basically saying yesterday that that's great for the NHL to make a decision about the Olympics, but I'm going to play for Russia no matter what? I don't think he's kidding. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, he's not kidding <laughs> yeah. at all. He's going to go for sure. I mean, he loves it. He loves the village. He loves the attention. He loves all that stuff. He loves Russia. He loves Mother Russia. He's, he's as nationalistic a player as there have ever been in this game, almost. I mean, he truly is all Russian, and he's going to play for that country in the Olympics, and uh, if he has to miss a few games or get suspended, so be it. Um, he's going. And it's going to be a great debate. I mean, on the one hand, you've got your NHL season disrupted again, possibly, if they go to Korea. Uh, you know all the all the usual delays and the injuries and that all that stuff. Um, you know, versus you know keeping it in house, so to speak, with the World Cup and keeping all that revenue and trying to manufacture your own Olympics. It's uh, it's going to be a big debate. I think the players love to go, but the NHL obviously hates it because they get no money. So right. Who's going to win that battle? I don't know. I think the players ultimately win because they can decide what they want to do either way. You know, they can sit out or boycott or whatever they want to do. Well, it's but, interesting um, because yeah. Ovechkin you know, doesn't want to go to Seoul, South Korea. Yeah, Ovechkin isn't kidding, and he'll bring people with him too. I mean, Ovechkin's got huge influence over yeah. Russian players. I absolutely. Mean, you know, absolutely. He's like he's absolutely the leader of Russian hockey for, yeah. for them to play the side. Absolutely. Like Bure was before him. Bure kind of handed the torch yeah. off to Ovechkin, and <laughs> you know, I've heard Ovechkin talk about his you know first Olympics and looking up to Bure and. You know, wanting to be the next Pavel Bury of Russian hockey, and I know there's guys in the league now who want to be the next Ovechkin, and he's going to bring yep. guys with him, and that's going to be a problem for the league. I'm yep. really interested to see how it plays out because I know that it he is, is not be. bluffing. It's going to be a big story. Yeah, no, he's not bluffing at all. And uh, you know, guys before that, you know, came. You know, it's always been like that. Yeah, there's been a Russian leader or two. It used to be Igor Larionov, Slava Fetisov. Yep. And uh, now Ovechkin's taken over. So, yep. Yeah, he'll. Uh, yeah, assuming he's still playing hockey and healthy, he's, 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 he'll be in Seoul, South Korea, no matter what. Can and, anyone uh, to hold the cap? Can anyone beat Canada <laughs> in this thing, or what? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, short tournament. You know, that's why I just always have a hard time with short tournaments because you know, what are you really the world champion of if you win this thing? You won best three out of five. Okay, that's that's awesome. Looks. You know, take state, as they say. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, they can be beat. I think. Uh, 
I just think, why can't the North Americans outscore them? I mean, look at the lineup. It's not just it's not just the four I mentioned, Larkin and Eckblad and I mean Seth Jones. He's <laughs> talking man. about talent here. Yeah, I mean, you got the Ghost Bear firing bombs from the back end. Yep, I think it's going to be awesome to watch. I, you know, Canada's Canada. There's there's they're, they've got the best defense for sure and the best goaltending. So there, that's that's your that's your key to winning usually. So they're the favorite, of course, but. uh yeah, they can be beat. They've been beat before. Um, tell you what, I, I guess I believe a little more in the Americans than I did before the tournament. I, I really was like, just it uh, made an impression on me how how much Lombardi and Tortorella want to win this thing. And those are two pretty strong-willed guys. So uh, I think that's that's to me going to be the best, uh, most fun looking forward here is how they're going to do. You get the sense that the team is is still behind their coach. They're not. You know, phased by his comments. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're ready to stand. Yeah, yeah. And I think play. players have always respected Tortorella and uh-huh. always like him, but they respect him. And in a short tournament, I think he's he's the type that can really excel well. Uh, over the long haul, Torts is going to rub you raw and and wear you out. But in a short tournament, yeah, I like I like his type of coach. I think he's he's a perfect type of coach for this thing. Uh, you know, it hasn't worked out too well the last couple times with Dan Bilesma. Um, maybe it's time to get that hard ass approach in here again, and uh, a little bit more of a harder edge to the to the team. I think it's good. I think it's good. Uh, especially like Lombardi as GM. All right. Uh, last thing, we'll finish on this. So, Adrian Dater is nice enough to join us. He writes for Bleacher Report. You can find his work there. He's got a piece up about his conversation with Matthew Duchesne. We talked about. You can find him on Twitter. He's at a d a t e r there, and he's got some links to his pieces. Now, this is kind of an exciting thing for us. This is the last time uh, that we'll talk on this podcast without us having our own project going simultaneously. Uh, probably when Adrian gets home from from the World Cup or sometime in the next week or two, we are going to launch our own hockey podcast. Uh, I kind of joked around in the beginning that I'd kind of be the Don or I'd be the Ron McLean to his Don Cherry. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to work hard on booking good interviews. Uh, we're probably going to shy a little bit away from players. We kind of like, you know, don't want to just bring a guy on to tell us how he's going 110% and how he's, you know, loves being around the boys and all that stuff that you get from players. But we're going to do our best to have a fun kind of informative hockey podcast. Uh, but we won't be afraid to talk about other things now and again as well, especially in the off season. And uh, we're working on a name. I kind of like Lonely End of the Rink a lot, kind of a tribute to the Tragically Hip and kind of a cool hockey name. But we haven't decided on anything officially yet. Uh, so you can still send uh, some suggestions to us on Twitter. Uh, you can I mentioned Adrian's at A-D-A-T-E-R, and you know I'm at sports underscore casters there. So what do you think about the show? Are you excited? Of course I am, man. It's going to be fun. I'm, uh, I'll be in better voice, that's for sure, when this thing starts. And uh, I just look forward to, to just uh, trouncing you in, in daily debates about hockey. <laughs> it's going to be fun for me. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, you're my foil, and uh, this is great. I, uh, it's, it's good for my self-esteem. And, uh, no, I, it's going to be fun. You're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're definitely the uh, driver of the show, probably. Yeah. Uh, and you're the... Uh, 
you know, you're going to be bringing my opinions out, but I'm going to be pushing yours for yours too. And uh, that's what it's going to be about. It's just going to be about, you know, I'd like a podcast where we don't feel like we have to crack a joke every, every other second with each other too. And try to try to be too funny, you know, yeah, uh, nothing more painful for me as a listener than to feel like I have to laugh every two seconds to some guy's corny jokes. Um, so this is going to be hopefully just good meat and potatoes hockey with a little bit of flair, a little bit of fun. And, uh, hopefully I don't say anything gets me too in trouble because right. I'm good at that. Don't but, get Adrian uh, fired is one of the mantras of the show. So, yeah, well, uh, so, uh, <laughs> I will just, uh, you know, I'll be myself. You have a good edit button, so yes. we can always get it. Um, uh, you know, I, I've done my own podcast before on hockey. But I think it needed a uh, good host like yourself and somebody I can bounce stuff off of all the time and get a more regular flow. So this is this is uh, this is going to be perfect. I always just love to talk hockey for forty minutes with someone. Anyway, you might as well put it out there on the air. And if anybody else likes to listen to it, great. If not, well, we'll just hear ourselves echo off the cyberspace. That's right. fine. Well, we'll do it weekly uh, when we get rolling. We'll be doing it weekly and. Uh, you know, I'll be talking about how much I hate the CHL and, and plug in my love for the U.S. development system and the USHL and college hockey and our good players not running off to the OHL or the Western Hockey League for no reason now. Uh, so that will be one of my uh, my uh, agendas. My uh, like, Luke, like, Luke, like Luke Toporowski just did a story on him, U.S. prodigy, yeah. 16 Ugh. years old, going off playing Spokane in the WHL instead of playing for the USDL. So there awesome. you go. We'll start looking. Get into that next time, but uh, yeah, I'd rather. Yeah, dad read the went piece. there, though. What are you gonna do? Your dad went there. Your brother played there. Stinks. Peer pressure, man. Stinks. You, know, you gotta do it. Don't like it. But. All right. Well, I'm excited <laughs> to get going. Enjoy the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, stay away from uh, yeah. the viruses of Canada that have already, I guess, got you a little bit. Um, I'm already uh, infiltrated with viruses here, and that says nothing about my computer, too. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna stay off those. <clears throat> Gotta stay off those. Uh, nah, never mind. <laughs> all right, Bob. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, Steve. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later, eh? All right. We want to thank. Our guests for being on the show today, John Wertheim, and a fluid situation as we record right now. <laughs> uh, you can find this week's show and last week's show with Trey Wingo and Matt Yoder on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts are downloaded. downloaded. Uh, you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and at Donlake Sports. All right, one last thing for me this week. I am an NFL Red Zone customer. I don't pay for the Sunday ticket, but that 70 bucks a year, whatever that comes out to over 17 weeks, is in the sweet spot for me. I love it. Um, what I have been doing is setting up a second TV in my living room and splitting the, bringing a second cable box down, splitting it, all that. It works fine, but I figured, okay, I've got a Chromecast. I will just go to their online uh, you can stream it online if you have a subscription and cast it to the Chromecast. They don't let you do that. No. Uh, 
No. It'd be there's free sites out there that have the Chromecast button on there. So this is something that the NFL must be purposely doing, which sucks because I could just hook my laptop up to the TV via the HDMI. So all this is doing is inconveniencing me. It's not keeping me from watching it. And there's actually, if you use Google Chrome, there's like a cast command within it, and then you can cast it to the Chromecast. But it kind of makes it a little choppy because of the way I think it has to like actually send the video to the TV rather than sending a... like If you cast like a YouTube video, I guess what it does is it essentially just tells the Chromecast play this YouTube video. So it's not sending the video. It just sends it a URL. So it was okay to watch it that way, but it was uh, a little bit choppy and it's just, it's, it's not convenient. I pay for it. I don't know why they would make me run a wire to my TV for it. Um, then I realized they have like a $2, you could pay $2 a month to like get it on your phone. And I didn't do that luckily because I don't think you, that gives you the ability to cast it either. My guess is that it has something to do with the exclusivity of the different contracts. I do have to, oh, maybe. I do have to log in with my Verizon account to even get the streaming video. So it's not like it doesn't verify that in some yeah, fashion. Yeah, I don't mean that. But like, all right, so for example, so the NFL, Monday Night Football is on ESPN, right? Sure. If you want to watch that game on Watch ESPN, you can't do it on a phone because the NFL is sent sold the streaming rights specifically to Verizon for phones. Okay. But you can watch it on an iPad. Okay. Because an iPad isn't considered mobile. Okay. So there's all kinds of weird, like, exclusivities with the different packages. So my guess is somehow projecting that through wirelessly infringes on a different contract. Yeah, it's weird, though, because there's no way to really do it then other than to grab a second TV box, or like I said, I could have just hardwired. I could have hardwired it. Right. That's probably what I'll do next weekend because it's really not that much of an extra step. But I thought I've got this little fancy Chromecast. I might as well try to use it. But yeah, that was a bummer. Did uh, you Google it? Like, can I Chromecast? I did, and I I believe it's they don't allow casting. You can use Chromecast within their app for like NFL Now videos, but not live videos. Like n- no live. Yeah, I got to think that that somehow. Because it's not just Chromecast either. I think what's, what's Apple's one called? Play or Apple Air TV? Or, or, Apple TV. Yeah, with the Air, AirPlay. Yeah, right? AirPlay. Yeah, yeah, I think it won't let you do that either for some reason. Yeah, I have, um, you know, I have the Sunday Ticket and I have Sunday Ticket Max. So I also have the, um, like Anthony was able to watch the Bills game by logging in oh, cool. online. Okay. You know, so, and that was when I remember I was telling you she gave me like a nine dollar discount right, at first. Right, right. That's to co- that was to cover the price of the max part of it. Yeah, I love the product. But, I just wish it was a little bit. I mean, I have this more elegant solution, and like I said, I was able to stream it through Chrome, but because it has to actually decode it and send it over the air, it was a cord cutter's guide to the twenty sixteen NFL season. <laughs> I'll have to check that out after the podcast. Yeah, I don't know, because that's where that would fit in somewhere, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So the cord cutting idea, but interesting. I wanted to talk a little bit about Rich Hill. Uh, he's a Dodgers pitcher. Okay. And he was six outs away from throwing a perfect game against the Marlins on Saturday. Uh, but manager Dave Roberts made the difficult decision and pulled him after only 89 pitches. Uh, on the heels of Hill's departure... 
Uh, Marlins outfielder Jeff Francoeur ended the perfect game bid with a single off Joe Blanton in the eighth. There's never been a combined perfect game. Uh, Roberts explained why he made the move afterward, revealing that there were signs of the nagging blister on Hill's index finger returning. Um, That's from Annie McCullough of the Los Angeles Times. Hill, who struck out nine and could have tossed the 24th perfect game in Major League history, countered Roberts by telling reporters that his finger felt fine. Uh, Roberts says, after the game, I feel sick to my stomach. He was on the verge of tears. I'm not going. I'm going to lose sleep tonight, and I probably should. Uh, the Dodgers won the game five to one. They're eighty and sixty one. They have a five game lead in the NL West. Uh, but Roberts added that this victory feels like a loss, uh, and it's not even the first time this year that he stopped a pitcher uh, from throwing from throwing a, a no hitter. Uh, earlier in the year, he removed Ross Stripling from a no hitter. This is way back in April in his major league debut. Um, he'd barely thrown, he'd already thrown a hundred pitches through seven and a third innings. So Roberts at that time said it was a no brainer. It was also a, a closer game. Uh, but Hill had cruised all year. He's compiled a 1.80 ERA. Uh, I was going to say, should I know Rich Hill? Mm, Cause he's a 36 year old. Journeyman. That's what I said. He's a 36 year or That's what I was just seeing here. He's yeah. 36 years old. I've never, never heard been of him. A, he's never been a, like a Cy Young winner. And two days ago, like when you Google him, one of the first articles that comes up from two days ago says five reasons Rich Hill will get $45 million in free agency. So, I mean, good for him. Maybe he's a little bit of a late bloomer or something, but that's that's nuts. How do you not hear of it from a guy until he's 36 and then he just blows up? Nothing, in my opinion, is worth compromising our opportunity to win a championship, said Roberts. Oh, come on. Um, in addition to trying to help the Dodgers win a title, a healthy Hill could pitch his way into a rich contract. That's like you mentioned. But despite his age and limited track record and, of course, still durability questions, Hill's going to likely cash in as the best starter in a weak free agent market. Here's <laughs> He was toiling in the independent Atlanta League one year ago. Wow. Okay, so he plays for the Dodgers. Where do the Dodgers sit in the standings right First now? place, four and a half up. First place, four and a half up. Yep. So They're going to win the West. If you're really concerned about this guy and he does say he does aggravate his blister, but he gets to finish that game or at least maybe he gets hit by the next batter and then he, you know, you take him out or I think it's just ridiculous. It's a blister. Like even if you have to sit him one start, it's one start in 10 games. Like, Oh, the Dodgers are going to win the world series now. Cause Rich Hill didn't pitch those last 25 pitches. Yeah. That, this that's is like, it seems like Strasburg stuff. Like something we're going to make fun of for the next and he's done it twice this year. Now, they now you said, said the other game was closer, but his, still. His finger felt hot. That was his evidence that the blister could be returning. So apparently heat on the finger is like a sign that of a bl- But, like, that's his evidence. Okay. Even though he's saying, no, I don't, it feels fine. I've never pitched at a professional level. I don't know why I felt the need to preface that, but I don't know. Man, it's a blister. Like, I'm sure he would love to have the chance to throw, to make history. I don't know. I felt sick to my stomach too for the guy. I don't know what Roberts is thinking here. This is going to be his thing now, huh? I love pictures out during, I love advanced stats and all that good stuff way more than you do. But this is one that like this, this reeks of too cute. And he's done it twice this year. Twice. 
and only 89 pitches this time. Yeah, that's that's crazy. From a veteran, this isn't a young kid's arm, and I know, you know, hey, they got to worry about the postseason. That's the manager's job. But man, I don't know. I don't know. The, I'm looking at the article that the with a few of the quotes were attributed to an LA Times writer. Um, and he has an article on latimes.com. And um, I don't know. Like I said, Hill downplayed it. Um, but Roberts chose to anger his pitcher rather than su- su- subject him to injury risk. So there's obviously a disagreement about whether there was a risk. I get it, Hill said. I'm very adamant about living in the moment. I don't want to come out of the game. But I think there's a bigger picture here, and we all know what that is, obviously speaking of the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc did what's best for the team in the long run, said Jack Peterson, who hit two of the team's four home runs to lead the offense. The next run Hill allows is the Dodger will be his first. He spun six Soros innings against San Francisco in his debut. Does this feel like a baseball thing a little bit? Like the year that Drew Brees had the touchdown record, there's no chance that even if the game was out of hand, they were going to take him out. No, they let him stay in to get it at home on Monday night. And then he didn't have to play the next week. Yeah, that's... Uh, it's, I don't know. I can't imagine making that call. It's brutal. And it's just going to, I think, happen more and more. I think we're going to see this more and more. I think this is like just the infancy of this. And, you know, we read the arm this year by Jeff Passan, and I don't think there's any evidence that they're doing the right thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, Robert conferred with uh, his pitching coach, he did the math. Hill had not thrown 90 pitches in a game since July 7th, the day the bl- the blister first the day the blister first appeared. He had pitched in two major league games since then. He was scratched from an August 31st uh outing because of worries about his finger. And if the blister tore, he could miss a month. Wow. So, I don't know, but it sucks. Mm-hmm. 